This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. This week, I sat down with Charlie Faint, the owner, as many of you all know, of Havoc Journal. You know, with Ivan having been on last week and uh, Scott Chapman having been on, we've had a bunch of Havoc writers on, and I realize it's been a while since we've heard from Charlie and talked with him and... um, you know, Charlie's been moving the needle in the veteran community uh, for a long time uh, with Havoc Journal, with Second Mission Foundation. But it's funny, um, as much as you all probably know the ads that we run for Second Mission and uh, since it sponsors these episodes and, you know, all the stuff he does with it. For all that, I realized, you know, it's been a while since we've taken a look inside those names and looked at what is going on and what Charlie's building and all the rest of it. So this was a great chance to sit down and talk with Charlie about some of the developments in his life, some really interesting stuff uh, that he's up to personally, um, having recently become a law enforcement officer after his 27 years in the Army, uh, you know, working with everybody from JSOC to 101st. Uh, teaching at West Point, and uh, you know all these new chapters that are now unfolding for him. Uh, he is, of course, the owner of Havoc Journal and the founder of Second Mission Foundation. Okay, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Charlie Faint's latest profile in Havoc. Welcome back to the show, Charlie. Chris, I'm so glad to be back here. It's been a while since we did this, brother. Yeah, it has been, and uh, probably overdue. There's been a, there's, I got a bunch of stuff I want to ask you. Let's make sure, since you and I just talked offline for like 20 minutes, let's make sure we don't have any of the flow and conversationalism that we just had. I think we covered all the fun topics and spared the <laughs> readers from hearing anything interesting. Now we'll give like good corporate answers the whole rest of the way. Right, right. Well, I, I remember when, when we first started doing these, you used to tease, tease me good naturedly because I was still on active duty. And you'd ask me these these legit questions, but nonetheless, were 
I was like, oh, that one's going to get me fired. And and now, of course, now that I'm retired, I don't have that so much. So I'm still, you're helping me get out of that mindset into being able to say what I really think. I appreciate that. No, listen, that's great. Uh, that teases us up for for potential fireworks here. I'm, I'm, I got to think of a lot of loaded questions for you now. <laughs> we might we might get off Charlie Fain on a lot of topical stuff. Um, so actually, you know, let's start let's start though with you, um, because you know, last year when we recorded those holiday episodes for Christmas and everything, and we were yeah. pre-recorded them, and it was kind of like we caught up. We wanted to talk about Havoc Journal and and the deal with Epic Times and like all the cool new developments and everything like that but we kind of glossed over the fact you retired i mean we mentioned it and we talked about it but we kind of didn't like foot stomp it and all that so since it's veteran suicide awareness month or suicide awareness month maybe not just for veterans i don't really remember um and they always say check on the strong ones how are you doing hey thanks for asking brother i'm I'm doing really well i'm doing way better in retirement than I expected and probably better than my wife expected and, and my friends as well. I think partially for me, Chris, is because my life hasn't changed that much. As you know, mm-hmm. I, I still work at West Point. I got a volunteer job there. My, my previous boss very generously created a, a position for me that I could still contribute and help out. I still work with West Point, West Point's combat weapons team. I still live in the house that I lived in before I retired. I, you know, all, all these things, I, I, they're still the same. So I haven't changed that much. I just have a lot more time on my hands and I wear a different type of uniform when I when I go in to West Point and that is whatever I want. I wear my DD214 to the office now. It's pretty great. No, that makes a big difference. I mean, that does. And the consistency certainly makes a big difference. What has been the biggest change, not just on a day-to-day level, but on an emotional level for you? Well, for me, I think it... I, I mentioned this to some of the, the the cadets I still work with. You don't really think about how much you put into the army until you're not doing it anymore. I don't know if it was the same for you when you got out, but I, I remember waking up and and like you you and I talked about. I go to the gym twice a day now, which is yeah. twice more than I was ever going when I was on active duty. Uh, the last certainly the last the last ten years or so because I was working so hard, put so much into it, and I had to start teaching like seven thirty in the morning. Yeah. So having that has been one thing. Being able to hang out with my family. My my sister Kathy, whom you know, got me for my birthday a couple months ago this fancy desktop laser that I've just been burning the hell out of everything with. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, speaking of which, I got some for you. I'll bring it over next time <laughs> the house. That is, and that that's been great. I take care of the house. I'm doing home improvement projects. So all these things that I, I either couldn't do or wasn't making time for before, but are still important. I'm able to do all these things. So it's it's been good. I love being retired, man. So I think it might have been the first time you were on the show. It might have even been when you were on Savage Wonder, and we and we kind of talked about your life and everything you had done. And I said, you know, what's the end goal? What's the end goal with the PhD and with you know running Havoc and having jobs? Uh, and ba- you were you were talking about retirement, but then you were trying to line up post retirement jobs and all that. And I was like, what's the end goal with all of it? And you had said something to the effect of trying to do as much cool shit as I can get away with, you know, while still being responsible and doing everything that I need to do something I'm paraphrasing and maybe <laughs> more than paraphrasing. Cause I'm probably making it longer and less succinct than what you said. Is that, does that still sum it up? You know, so it was, kind of? I was, I was laughing, Chris, cause I remember us talking about this, but I don't remember what I said. I think I have to go back to listen to the episode after we're done talking. That sounds like something I would say. And definitely that's what I'm looking forward to doing. You know, I, all the things that we're doing with, with vet rep, with 
with Havoc, with Second Mission, all these other things that we're all involved in, making life better for vets and in my family and for America is kind of where where it is right now. And fortunately, all these things that I'm doing kind of overlap. This work with yeah. Westport, this work with Vet yeah. Rep, what we're doing with Havoc. You mentioned the Epoch Times, getting that word out and helping vets. All these things that that we do, that you do, like w- with your playwrights and things like that, and the Savage Wonderground that we have coming up with with Iman up in the Boston yep. area. I'm sure we're going to talk about later on. We definitely will. These things help vets, and vets need it, especially now. Especially now when we've got so many people that are still so upset about Afghanistan, the way that ended, so upset about what's going on inside our militaries with this recruiting crisis and everything else. Vets need it. Vets need each other. In fact, the, the, the article that I'm working on right now for Havoc Journal is called Browing Alone, like brother, browing out, browing, browing alone. It's based on something I read when I was in grad school at Yale called Bowling Alone. Uh-huh. It talks about, yeah, I, I thought I was actually Good. really impressed with myself. <laughs> bowling alone, growing alone. Um, the, 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 the premise of this article was that, that Americans over a series of decades have become socially disengaged. So everyone used to go to bowling leagues and things like this. They used to yeah. be alone in the American Legion. They used to be Masons, but now everyone's bowling alone. This is something that I think was written in the nineties and that's just gotten worse over time. Is that good or bad? I don't know. So that's what I'm working on right now. I think too many vets are out there bowling alone where they don't need to be. And we still need each other and we need America. Um, to that end, let's talk about your new career. Okay. The police. Okay. Um, I'll let you say as much. We didn't talk about that ahead of time. I didn't clear that with you as how much or how little we should say about that. So I'll let, I'll let you gauge where, where you want to take that, but you made the move into law enforcement. Why that, as opposed sure. to say, writing three times more ep- articles for Havoc or anything Absolutely. else. Like why that, why getting back so into I, the I think stuff? That's a great question. I ask myself so, that sometimes as well, <laughs> but just, just for, for our listeners who, who aren't uh, aware of, of, of what I've done as much as you are. So yeah, I'm in law enforcement now, but I'm doing as a part-time reserve sheriff. So I've got a, uh, the neighboring County has a program that, that takes folks on. Normally they're older folks that, that are, that are more seasoned. Folks like like me about my age, uh, and they and they they put them through the academy. It's an abbreviated version. We still get all the training that that's required, but we're not running laps. We're not doing 100 pushups. We're not out there training with the 19 year olds on it. And when we're done, we're accredited law enforcement agents, but we only go. We get called out in emergencies, or we go to like to help with a fair. And we are armed, and we have full police powers and everything like that. But I'm I'm not serving war- high-risk warrants. I'm not driving a battering ram. I'm not kicking down doors and things like that. My days of doing that are, are over if they ever existed at all. But th- to answer your question, why I'm doing it is I, I feel like I still got some more to give. And I still think that uh, America has things that are worth fighting for. And I'm willing to do my part to put myself on the front lines of those of those battlefields that are outside the military to help do what I can to, to assist America and help us get out of this kind of national funk that we're in and move on to something better. So yeah, I'll help people cross the street. I'll, I'll make arrests if necessary. I'll do this and we'll see where it goes from there, Chris. If George Floyd hadn't happened, would you mm-hmm. have done it? No, I, I would, I would have found a different way to serve. I think right now, I think police over certainly over the course of my lifetime are, are deeply unappreciated in a way that, that I don't think, most people do. If things are going well, you never see a cop, right? You, you hardly even notice. You might slow down if they pull up behind you. 
somewhere, right. but you will notice right. them. You only notice them when things are going bad. So people tend to get a bad taste in their mouth about police officers. They only see them when something's screwed up. So after this George Floyd thing, when I'm seeing I'm seeing good people get out of the, the the police force because of this defund the police of the very real risk of getting getting sued not only criminally but civilly, and and seeing not a lot of folks stick up for them. Now I'm not looking to go out and cause trouble. I, I love I've only done a couple of details with this police force because again it's part time, but I love doing it, Chris. You get to see really good people. You get out there to help. And what I found in, in the places that we work, it's very, it, it, it's very, very heterogeneous in terms of, of uh, socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. of race. And I found something that, 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 that you and I have talked about many times. People are people, generally speaking. I've never had any issues out there. I've had people drunkenly come up to me and give me hugs, say, thank you, God bless you, and stuff like that. It's things that I just was not expecting when I, when I signed up for this duty. But I went out and did it, and it was a pleasant surprise, right? To think that you're going to catch crap all the time, and and see that's not the case. So did you notice your sidearm was missing after they hugged? You? <laughs> feel like that happened. I've got some pretty good <laughs> firearm retention. Um, also, I and and that was something that we also talked. You're not supposed to let people touch you when you're on the job, right? For that very reason, you don't know what they're sure, going to do. Sure. But there was an event that that we had. Uh, that was in, in a part of the county that that was very it was renowned for for being a hard place to be. So they're like, hey, we need people to show up for this. It's like, all right, I went down there. So I went down there and there were there were three white people at this event that weren't part of the police force. Three. I counted. It reminded mm-hmm. me of, of high school in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So I felt immediately at home there. And all those people treated us so kindly and so nice to us. And then when they're coming out of this event, when it's done and we're helping across the street, the, um, there was a lot of heavy drinking going on because that's the, 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 the nature of this event. And they're just coming out and just that, that outpouring of genuine affection and support. How am I going to turn that hug down from this? Yeah. Enormous man who's yeah. Thank you for what you're doing, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. What am I supposed to, you know, don't, don't touch yeah, me. Right. Right. Stop resisting. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, I put up with that and and I I was deeply touched by that and I appreciated it. So I like this job. I'm going to do it as long as my body holds out and as long as, as as everything continues to do it and I think that goes back to something you and I talked about also in years past Chris is finding the finding a way to serve. There's many ways to serve the nation. It doesn't have to be the way that you and I did it. It could be the police force, it could be the Salvation Army, who knows. Find something and go do it. Do you feel like doing police work turns back the clock a little bit oh well yeah it's funny you said that i i felt so energized when i was going through the academy for one thing it was great to be in a situation like that where i'm not in charge i was i was i was was in there and first of all everyone everyone in the academy treated me very well because like i said these are all these people are are often very accomplished in their own rights like my classmates in the academy they they've done some stuff yeah. They're a doctor. They're you know they they own a construction business, whatever. So they treated me very well. The the trainers treated me very well. But again, when we start doing combatives, we're doing hand to hand stuff like Chris. I haven't done that in so many years. I remember one of one of my uh, one of my colleagues came at me with a flying knee when we were doing. It. I, was, I just had to laugh. He was a little <laughs> kind of class, and I'm one. I was not the biggest, by the way. One of my one of my classmates was six nine. He's a monster. One of the greatest uh, nicest guys out there. But I, I, yeah, I felt a lot younger. It did feel like turning back the clock. It's like, man, yeah. I can still, I can still do some things. I couldn't do it in the military anymore, but now I could do it here. What's been the biggest surprise, or mm-hmm. pleasant or otherwise, 
in your experience between the military and law enforcement? What did you not expect? So we already talked about how did, I didn't expect the support from the populace. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sure there'll be cir- circumstances down the road where, where things are different. We weren't putting down, uh, you know, a riot or anything sure. like that. Sure, sure. Just even those those normal interactions, if you have some maturity, if you can treat people with respect, that goes a long way to like distilling things. I remember this last event we did, I was with uh, one of my partner was, he was in the academy with me, but this was his first detail. And even though I only had a couple of details, I was like the seasoned veteran. Yeah, right, right. So we were standing there talking and these two individuals pulled up on illegal dirt bikes that in my opinion were very clearly gang members. They, they're to me. They, they look like gang members, and 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 uh, my my buddy said, "What's the play here?" Because they they pulled up on an intersection and they were like blocking the sidewalk with their with their motorbikes. Mm-hmm. They weren't causing any problems necessarily, but it's like you're in a bad spot. You're going to get run over. So I went over to him. I was like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, you're not doing anything wrong, but I just want to let you know that we had a lot of traffic through here tonight, and I'm worried that if you continue to park here, uh, that you might get hit by a car. Do you think there's somewhere else you can move on the street?" And and I had to get right on them because of the venue that was all this music going on. I had to get right in between them to talk yeah, to them, yeah. which made my partner super nervous, sure. but I had to do that so they could hear me and I could hear them. They're like, Hey, no problem. And then they asked me some questions about what was going on. I explained the situation. They fired up their bikes and they left. So that was the biggest surprise for me. What I wasn't surprised about, but glad to see you confirm Chris is the close overlap between those two worlds. So there's a lot of people going from the military to law enforcement and vice versa. And for me, I, I really felt I, I felt at home in that law enforcement environment, although I know nothing about law enforcement, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. seemed very comfortable for me. And one thing that was that was kind of funny, Chris, I think I mentioned this to you, but I don't think I mentioned it on the air. There was a, a guy in my class who'd been around for a long time, uh, an older gentleman who had, had some experience with the military. And he knew that the the term of endearment for lieutenants was LT. And he knew I was a lieutenant colonel. So he would call me LT in class. And, and I, I just had flashbacks to that, that Obi-Wan Kenobi meme. That is a name I've not heard in a long time. I just <laughs> ran with it. I just ran with it because he meant it as a, as a term of endearment and affection. Sure. I wouldn't say anything. It's like, he's like, hey, LT. I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's LT. <laughs> again, after 30 years, I'm a lieutenant again. Yeah, that's fine. So I always, this is, this is my... Um back of the envelope kind of analogy that I've always thought of between the military and law enforcement because the military, you know, generally speaking is training a lot more than it's fighting. You know, you're not in the ship all that often, generally speaking, even in the high op tempo fields, because, you know, it comes and goes, you have your downtime and all that. Um, so percentage wise, it's relatively rare we're supposed to a cop every day. It's live rounds every day. You're going out there and it might be a peaceful day. I've always thought of it as the difference between football and baseball that the military is like football. You only got 16 games a year. That's it. It's only 16, but you got to train your ass off all year round because when those games happen, it's high impact, high catastrophes, injuries, big plays, big show stopping moments, all that baseball. Not so much. 162 games a year. You're going out every fucking day, just about. Not always something thrilling that's going to happen. Most games are going to get forgotten very easily, but you're there just getting the reps in every single day. Am I off or does that track? I love that analogy. I've never heard that before. 
So I'd have to I have to think about it for a while because because there there are of course circumstances where you get some football type stuff going on. Hundred percent. if somebody gets killed. Hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of rare. Uh, the biggest difference for me is, and your experience might have been similar. I felt like if something happened to me, my unit would take care of me. I would be taken care of. Like the system would take care of me if there was a circumstance where where I was doing the right thing, but there was you know a bad shoot or something in the military. I'm not 100% confident that police officers in general think that now about policing, about their their PD, their mayor, whatever, whatever they got going on. I think that's a distinct difference. Now, obviously, if I thought that my organization that I'm a part of wouldn't take care of me, I wouldn't be in it, right? I don't have to do this, this police gig, especially since I'm not getting paid for it. It's voluntary. Right. But I think that's a major difference. I felt, especially when I was in special operations, you probably thought the same way when you were soft. My unit's going to take care of me. My boss is going to take care of me. My team's going to take care of me. And I think a lot of cops are looking around like, who's going to take care of me? No one's going to fund me if I get sued civilly, even if I did everything right. My, my life's still ruined. My finances ruined. I'm out. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to do yeah. school. Yeah. I think that's a major difference. That is. That's, that is a big difference. That's that, And that's a lot of psychological weight to carry around. Um, you said you'll do it for as long as your body can hold up. And that makes total sense. What are the second and third order effects, though, of doing this as a sideline? Do you see, have you gotten, especially with your writing, with what you do with Havoc and all that, what has it done to your perception of issues, your perception of um, how to serve the first responder community? Like, what has all that meant? I would imagine your understanding of certain characters, certain situations, all that has, you know, developed and become more three-dimensional. Yeah. So as you know, Chris, the our biggest audience on Havoc and through second mission is the military. The second one, immediate second one is law enforcement, first responders. So for me, for having that that part of our company of second mission and havoc, I, I thought it was important to me as the the guy who's kind of in charge of both those organizations to be able to speak authoritatively on those subjects in a way that I couldn't if I was one dimension. Mm-hmm. So I think that this this in, in addition to everything else, talk about why I'm, why I'm doing it. This gives me credibility to a limited extent because it's basically sure. National Guard for cops, except I'm not even getting paid for it. National Guard does. But I think that that one allows me to have that credibility in that space. And two, it opens up more venues, allows me to recruit more people to come in for, for having a second mission to get help, to help share their stories, to help recruit whatever we need to do in law enforcement in a way I couldn't if I could only talk about the military. That makes a lot of sense. Do people there know that you're the owner of Havoc? So I, I didn't advertise it a whole lot because I, I didn't want people to think that that's why I'm here, right? That's that's one of the many reasons why I'm, I'm in that law enforcement space. But yeah, they know. And especially my my academy class was really tight during the academy. We had, mm. I, I don't know if this is unique. I've only been to the academy once. Maybe all academies were like this. We had our own little mailing list where guys were like sending funny stories and things like that too. And we had a couple of stories that were written by by one of Havoc's many law enforcement officers. Mm. I was like, this directly relates to what we talked about in class yesterday. And and I had to be upfront about it. It was like, hey, full disclosure, I own this company, but I'm sending this to you because we talked about this in class. Uh, so I had several people come up to me. It's like, oh, and, so, and even some of my academy class was like, oh, I didn't know you were affiliated with it. I've heard of Havoc Journal. I appreciate stuff like that. And that's that's always good as well. 
And I do want them eventually to contribute because everyone's got a story to tell and I'd love to tell theirs. That's very cool. That's a very cool um, overlap between those two. Let's talk about Havoc. Um, Obviously, in the last couple of weeks, we have Ivan Ivan Ingram on. We've had Scott Chapman on. What's the outlook right now? How's Havoc doing? We're doing really well. As you know, we started because of this deal we have with Epoch Times, we're able to start paying people, uh, ones that do our podcasts, ones that, that write articles for us. We were able to pay ourselves for so long for the for the first eight, nine, ten years of Havoc's existence. We really couldn't do that. Everyone worked for free. Now the writers got paid. And now because of this deal with Epoch, any Havoc content that we run through Epoch, they pay us. We we pass that along. Because the, the folks that are involved in Havoc are we're not doing it for the money. The money's nice. You, there can be no mission without a mark, and you gotta have it. But that's not why we're here. That's why our business model w- will endure no matter what the the circumstances are. I've heard rumors about certain other um, organizations that are having trouble right now. I've got to cut back staff that are operating in the veteran space. We don't have to do that because there's only four of us and we, we pay ourselves very little to keep this thing going. So Havoc's going really well. I'm really excited about it. We got some things um, working that we're working with Epoch Times that I'll tell our, our readers about when, when, when we're clear to do it. Epoch has been a great partner for us. We really, we really appreciate it. Profiles and Havoc is going really well. You've done a great job with that. I, I was looking through it the other day when I was going to the gym twice a day. Looking at it, I was like, I can't believe how many episodes you've done, Chris. I know. We're getting up there now. I know we're in triple digits. It's like we're real. It's fucking the wild. Thing, I know. The other thing that we've got going on is is Kathy, with, who, who you know is, is one of our one of our members. Kathy contacted me and she's like, I think we should all go to SHOT this year, SHOT Show out in Las Vegas. And and I was like, well, let me check the finances. And I was like, well, I, I think we could probably do it. So we'll look forward to seeing some some Havoc uh, fans out there for shot. And and uh, we couldn't do that if things weren't going well. So I'm feeling really good about where we are, Chris. And you've been a huge part of that, you personally. Listen, it's been a blast. I mean, it's so funny how serendipitous all this came together. I'll never forget being at, I think it was at JFK, catching a flight down to do stuff with group. And I was using like that paid you know, computer like that's that's glued to the table so you can't <laughs> run off with it. Like that little tablet they'd have there at one of the swank restaurants. And I was like eating a meal. And I put my credit card in and I stumbled. I don't even remember how, but I stumbled onto Havoc Journal there. And I was like, it looks like they got pretty easy submission guidelines. I'm going to reach out and start sending stuff. And ever since then, um, man, what a blessing it's been. And and I, not just for me, but for so many in the community. Um, what do you think the future holds for Havoc. Do you see the model changing in any way? So we'll see. We'll see what the situation is. I, I, I talked with Mike Warnock, who, who you know, has been my best friend since eighth grade and now basically runs Havoc for me. I still own it, but Mike does most of the work. And Mike and I talk every Monday, partly because we got a lot of business to talk about, partly because he's been my best friend since the eighth grade. We got, we got lots to talk about. So I was talking about uh, earlier today, because today's Monday. And we had a very similar conversation. So I think in the near term, we're going to keep it where it is right now. We're going to keep building that base. We're, we're, I, I've read so many stories about organizations that, that were that were doing really well until they blow yeah. up and then yeah. things fall apart. I don't want that. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, we've been doing this long enough where it's time to shit or get off the pot. You know, what, are we going to do this? Is, is this going to be something that that we just run out of my living room or is it something that's going to be bigger? I'll tell you what, what I would like to do 
Chris, is is my end state. The, the the ideal situation for me was for is for Havoc to make so much money that everyone involved, you, me, Alyssa, Kathy, Mike, could do that if we wanted to. I know you got your own things going on. Um, if we wanted to, we could do that full time and no one have to do anything else. Mm, mm. So that's my desired end state. We're make we're making our way there. We're not there yet. We'll see what the future holds. Well, it's exciting stuff, man. And definitely what Lisa's done with the social page is nothing short of incredible. I mean, that's just <laughs> well, what a no, juggernaut. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to fuss at her for uh, not teaching me how to properly use Instagram after my <laughs> on, on Right Loud the other day. I totally blame that on her, <laughs> not not me being old and, and not on Instagram. That's totally Lisa's fault. Yeah, she 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 should start doing media prep for for the organization. I guess yeah. Step um, one, hit the update button on your app. Yeah. Um, when it comes to content, what have been the stories that have moved you this year on Havoc? Oh, what stuff oh, have great, you seen? Great question. Great question. So um, so anything related to families has has mm. been a, a moving thing for me. So Mike Warnock's children have have been contributing to, uh, sometimes under a pseudonym, sometimes under their real name. Now, these are people that I, I've seen grown up. They're adults now. They're all adults. All three of Mike, Mike and Jen's kids are adults. And seeing them write about it has, has been huge. And uh, Mike, a couple of, this wasn't this wasn't this year, but it reposted this year. Mike's article the, uh, in the shadow of JSOC. Yeah. was huge. And I remember talking with Mike about that. He didn't want to write that article a long time. And, and uh, after talking to him about it, it, he explained why. Basically, he didn't want me to be mad at him for having a different opinion of JSOC than I did. Uh, because his his experience with JSOC is completely different than mine. But that's okay. And he was also worried about what other people in JSOC, would, how they would react to it. Because that's been so much a part of both of our lives. Both of our dads were in JSOC when we were in in junior high through high school, his dad stayed on and worked there. He worked for me when I came back to JSOC as a major. That's how how bad how far these roots go back. But I, I explained to him that wasn't the case, and there's been so much positive feedback on it. And then uh, the the, the follow up stories, uh, you know, Afghanistan a year on, yeah, have been big. All these all these stories have have been pretty pretty moving to me, Chris. But I think the ones the ones that Mike Warnock's children have written have, have really got me right in the feels recently. Since Havoc is a pretty quick flash to bang from emotion to putting it down on paper, what's getting you fired up to write? What stuff is on your mind? What are you seeing? So I'm, I, I've always been interested in politics. You remember this since the time you met me. Um, most of the stuff I wrote politically, I wrote under a pseudonym um, for the reasons that we talked about before. I, I think I'll continue to do that partly because it, it, it's useful to me for people to not presume to know what I think politically because they'll, they'll, they'll treat you different. Yeah. So I think it's the new religion. You, you're judged by is. it right off the bat. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's not the way I want to operate. And that's not the way I want to run havoc havoc's for everybody, including people who aren't even veterans. It's, it's the, the wide understanding of the veteran community. So I don't want, I don't want people to think I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I got this great thing I want to say, but I'm not gonna send a havoc journal because the owner is X, Y, Z. Right. Right. I don't want them to think that. So, so for me, and and Mike, Mike and I are very much aligned on this. Is we'll we'll publish anything if it's well written, if it's truthful, and we think our audience will react to it. And we we get in trouble. We you and I have talked about this before, Chris. When you're middle of the road, you get run over by both sides, and that's yeah. what we found in Havoc Journal. Trying to be middle of the road, we get beat up by the conservatives anytime there's anything remotely liberal, and vice versa. But vets run the whole spectrum. 
Yeah. So we're we're gonna share we're gonna share everything. So for me personally, I'm very interested in where we are politically right now. So I, I've got a couple of things that are that are going on with that. Um, with my friend, my friend Rich Liebel, who was a special forces officer. You remember Rich, uh, SF guy. Uh, he, I, I recently co-authored a piece with his wife Susan, which is called "Flowers for the Living," um, mm. which which spoiler for our listeners, basically why you need to give your funeral flowers to the people who are still alive give your flowers to the living that's coming out that's in drafts right now i got to finish that up I, I got susan's edits on that we're going to load it up and then the growing alone piece that, that we got i think once i got a little more experience under my belt i'm going to write a little bit more about law enforcement i started an article called my my first day as a cop after being a vet but yeah. my first day as a cop after being a vet was actually really boring it was, <laughs> it was it was 4th of July. I helped thousands of people cross the street. Um, and the most interesting thing that happened was a woman came up to me and asked me if I had any toilet paper, which I thought was bizarre. But guess what I carry now on my belt? I carry some MRE toilet paper. <laughs> so um, I, I'd like to write more about law enforcement once I have some experience to talk meaningfully about it, which I don't think I've got right now. It's funny. The the new Charlie faints a lot like the old Charlie faint. There's always a vested, but but I get it. There's always a vested interest in, in these days to to play your cards close to your vest because it just and it, it's alarming. I was reading something, can't remember where now, but just the other day about the danger of monocausal rationales for things. That if you're the kind of person who once you identify one cause and the way you believe on one cause, you immediately automatically line up with all the other predictable responses on any number of other issues um all because of one cause all because of well it's capitalism that's at the root therefore i believe xyz or trump therefore xyz or whatever if it's always monocausal uh this article made a really good point that that is the sign of a low grade intellect that if you can if everything in your purview attributes to one view one cause you probably don't know enough to have legitimate opinion legitimate deep well-reasoned opinions on a lot of that stuff you're regurgitating something from a very specific political leaning as opposed to looking at each issue a la carte and understanding it more 360 i say that because um unfortunately we all get tarred and feathered because your opinion on one issue is now a shibboleth and makes people go, oh, you must believe X, Y, and Z on all these other things. And as a result, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're immediately tuned out, shunted aside. Do you see that changing? No. No, mainly because there's power in that right now. There's power in being loud. There's power in being offended. There's power in being the victim. And as long as that's the case, you're going to have people that latch onto that and they hold on to it for dear life. So we've created a, a circumstance in our country right now where we have lost the art of nuance and we've lost the art of accepting other points of view and just being able to deal with it. I, I, I remember certainly growing up, there were all manner of people that had all manner of opinions that were considered equally valid. And now it's like you're lining up left and right. And I remember being shoved into conservatism when I was in grad school at Yale. Most people go there to think Yale's is ultra in place, which it is, but there are plenty of conservatives there as well. But the way that I was treated there 
Um, and the conversations I have with my classmates made me really kind of conceptualize myself in a way that I didn't before. And getting getting shoved further and further to the right by people who were throwing my race in my face or my socioeconomic status or the fact that I was born in the South and everything like that. And finding it hard to be to be able to to push back against that in a way that's socially acceptable. Eventually, you get to a point where you stop caring about that anymore. And I think that we're starting to see that now. I think we've we've the the pendulum has swung so far in one direction that there's going to be a catastrophic return to equilibrium. I think we're we're almost at the the apex of of, of turmoil before we start swinging back to, to the center. And I hope that happens sooner rather than later, because the way we're going as a country right now, I don't think it's sustainable. Do you think I mean, with all the hand wringing and gnashing of teeth and renting of garments that we do politically these days, where it seems like all we want to do is Cassandra ourselves into waiting for the next civil war, the next major catastrophe. Do you think these are the most dangerous days America's faced? internally or do you think we're overblowing it and becoming drama queens about it social media fueling the fire all that that's a great question i think a couple years ago i'd have been more inclined to say that it's overblown but with the the political prosecutions that we're seeing right now uh, from january 6th president trump on i think it's very concerning about that i think the the rhetoric that we're seeing about the two-tiered or three-tiered justice system inside america the weaponization of the entire bureaucracy against one political class. I think that's very concerning. I also think that the, the lack of police control when, when we have riots, when we have uh, rampant crime and things like that. I think uh, one, one of the articles I'm actually working on right now is, is America's coming vigilantism, because I think that's where we're going right now with, with the, the legitimacy of the state being undermined by the the lack of monopoly of control and the use of force. So eventually people will get tired of that and they'll start creating their own police force. They'll have their their own vigilantism, which is bad for the country. It's bad when the the tools of the state aren't enough to to enforce the laws of the state that people have to step up and start doing it themselves. I think that's bad. And I think we're starting to see that now. And I think it's going to get worse if we don't have a change in the country where we start enforcing our laws or we start making sure that we control our borders, that we control our streets. Right now, we're focused on controlling the people, and I don't think that's good. Did you ever work with Turks in the military? Any of the Turkish folks? No. At H. Kaya or anything like that in Afghanistan? No, no, Did you ever I, cross paths with them? I, I had some. My, my main engagement with Turks has been with Yale University students. I've got a high opinion of turkeys and Turks, but uh, no, I, I haven't worked with them before. I I, you know, the, the only reason I ask, I, I know Turkey is, I think, famous for its conspiracy theorizing and that everything, <laughs> they've, been, they've been so conditioned as part of their culture and, and manipulated in many ways, but into believing any number of conspiracy theories uh, that mostly mean nothing to us. They're internal ones to Turkey, but as a result, it really becomes like this, um, from the little I know of it. Uh, it becomes a madhouse. It becomes, you know, a, a, a house of mirrors where you just have no idea what the truth is because everybody's amplifying some degree of propaganda, some degree of misdirection, disinformation, whatever. And as a result, everybody's paranoid to the point that you're believing anything. And it used to be something that we could look down 
that those that knew Turkey well enough to even know about that aspect of them would look down their nose at Turkey for and go, thank God we know what the truth is in this country. And it's interesting to me how much that's gotten muddied for us the past couple of years where it's harder and harder to know and to divine the kind of ground truth of things. And there's certainly a lot of incentive structures built on people not knowing the truth, but but also um, so many schisms even within rational classes where reasonable people, who used to be reasonable people could disagree, but now it's like, well, no, but wait, what you just said about vaccines, wait, what the fuck? You know, and it's, suddenly there's, it's so much harder to figure that out now. As the owner of a media entity, what do you do to safeguard that? How what's the what's the answer? I mean, you have a unique perspective on this because not everybody has that particular capability at their disposal. So I always thought that the truth mattered. Like it matters to me personally. It doesn't matter in politics. What what I've come to recognize, Chris, is that the political media complex is way more dangerous to America than the than the military industrial complex ever was. Mm. So when we talk about wars a racket, we talk about the, the military industrial complex, yeah, that's a problem. But the political media complex, way, way, way more of an issue. So what I what we do, yeah, I have a point of view. Your listeners have, our listeners have just heard me express some of it, but I'm willing to entertain other points of view because I'm willing to entertain the fact that I might be wrong on some issues. I also I also accept the fact that in this this great thing of ours in America, there's room for multiple opinion. We have a big tent. What we've allowed to happen is a very small, very, very vocal minority to get in a political minority to get in and monopolize all the tools of the state. And the institutional capture in our country is a real thing. And now it's being used against the people. You mentioned the how we used to make fun of the Turks for their conspiracies. We used to make fun of people and, and sanction them for imprisoning their political rivals. Yet that's what we're doing in our own country right now. This is bad. This is bad for our country. It's bad for the, the, the security of the nation. And the, the longer this type of thing goes on, the more that institutions are degraded, the less we see ourselves as a nation and the more we're in it for ourselves and for our small tribe. And then we end up with everything falling apart suddenly. It'll happen like it'll happen like that. And people look back and say, we never saw it coming, but we we do. We see it happening right now. And you, you, the royal, you, all of us didn't do anything to stop it. So what am I doing with, with my media company, Chris? I think the truth matters. And I do what I can to impact my readership, to take care of my family, and to promote my view of what I want for America. So let's say um, on something that you've kind of been outing yourself gradually on, uh, it as we've been talking. So let's talk about January 6th. So if you have one point of view and you're like, look, this is, and I assume that's what we're talking about, right? With imprisoning sure, political sure. rivals. So um, so where do you draw the line on facts with that? Where, where, Because obviously we have room for a lot of opinions. Where does opinion become fact in your point of view? So if somebody came up and said, here's why everyone involved with January 6th needs to be in jail. And they wrote an article about it. Is that factual? Is that an opinion? What is it? What would what would your editorial guidance be in looking that over and allowing it to run or not? We'd we'd run it if it wasn't if it wasn't like a hit piece 
on on specific people. Um, if it wasn't something that was just like complete flame job on it, if it was a thoughtful and analytic piece, we'd run it. That's a legit point of view. What what I draw the line at personally is I don't I don't conceptualize what happened to January 6th as as an insurrection. 100% was a riot. It shouldn't have happened. People should go to prison over it. But I'm not sure that they should go for for 22 years. Or I think that the 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 the, uh, the uh, founder of the Proud Boys got 22 years for his role in January 6th. I'm not sure that should happen when we have so many other things going on where people are dodging the 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 judicial bullet. Now, Hunter Biden's a primary example. I live in the state of New York. So do you. It is notoriously hard to follow all of New York's gun laws. This guy is just eschewing those because he's got a position of power. Um, that's just one example. And just seeing all these things go on, I'd be okay if it was a consistent across the board. I think I think the penalties handed out for the January 6th rioters were far in excess of their actual crime. And, and that that troubles me. What do you think they should have gotten? I, and I'm putting you on the spot because I know you're not judging. You don't have all the rules and regulations, but just your gut feeling. What do you no, think? For you sure. I think they should have been charged with trespassing, maybe even criminal trespassing. I think that they should have they should have probably caught a fine, especially the ones that weren't physically there. And I think they should be allowed to move on with their lives. I think we still have people in prison who haven't even gotten to trial yet. We I, I hear regularly that they're, they're, they're that there are individuals who have been held in solitary confinement over this. I haven't fact checked it. I don't know if that's true or not. But I think that we're sending a very dangerous message when we allowed so many, for example, the BLM rioters to go free. When we had the woman who's currently serving as the vice president of the United States contributing to bailing them out of prison when they're going out burning, looting and sometimes killing. And then we have these folks that kind of wandered around because the doors were open. They shouldn't have done it. There should be consequences for it. But I think that we've we've gone off the deep end on one side of this this two or three tier uh, justice system. And then on the other side, the balance sheet is 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 in favor, strongly in favor of one and not the other. I think that's a problem. What are the tiers? I don't know that. What's the two, three tier justice system? What is that? So, so you have so again, and something else I, I think about writing an, an article about. This is something I didn't come up with on my own. I don't know who to give her credit for. I just say it's not my idea. So you have the you have the protected class, you have the people, and you have the persecuted class. So right now, the protected class is is the Democrat Party. You have the people who are just normal folks that get caught in the middle, and you have the persecuted class, which are strong uh, Republicans, conservatives, and things like that. So there are all kind of examples that people use about the, the differences in, in the system from Hillary Clinton to, to Donald Trump, et cetera, to what happened to J, J6 versus BLM, and many things in between. And we, we also see where, the again, the levers of state have been used against conservatives. Uh, several years ago, we had the IRS targeting conservative companies. We see, we regularly see conservatives getting deplatformed or in shadow banned. The, we saw that in the, when Twitter files got released, which is a huge bombshell. So we see this media political complex that I mentioned earlier being used in ways that advance a political party at the expense of another. So that's that's really where I'm coming from on that. If somebody were to come to havoc with an article refuting that. Would you run it? Yeah. Is it good, truthful, when people react to it? I've regularly run articles that were rebuttals of things that I wrote under my real name. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Send it our way. If it meets our criteria, we'll publish it. Mike Warnock is really good about that. 
he's really good. At, in fact, Mike, we get a lot of content. I think you you know this, Chris. We get a lot of content for people that write in with hate mail. So mm. we'll write in and say, you wrote this article. It was stupid, X, Y, Z. Mike will write back very patiently. Hey, you, you know, I, thank you for taking the time to write to us. I appreciate your point of view. We, we run rebuttals. Would you consider writing? And about 50-50, sometimes we'll get something that's really well, well written. The other one, oh, fuck you. I'm not going to, because people are idiots. And they couldn't right. write a coherent thought, you know, outside right. of you suck. But we get a lot of good content that way of people saying, hey, this, this is wrong. And I think you're wrong on this opinion. Here's why. So I'll run it. I'll run a rebuttal. I'm, I'm not proud, Chris. It's 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 not about me at the end of the day. It's about us, it's about our community. That's rare. That's so rare. You know, I think that is what makes Havoc unique. Um, there's there's no ideological barriers, you know, that you and and I know when I first started the company, there were people that you and I know that wrote some pretty fucking out there stuff, <laughs> but it was eloquent. Um, you know, uh, as much as I sometimes vigorously disagreed with it. And I remember obviously at the time, I think when I first started writing for havoc, I didn't know you. I just had the Scott Faye thing bouncing around and I certainly never seen you in person. And, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what you believed. I didn't know where you stood on it. You were very even handed of, okay, well, this is, it's a piece It's going out. There are rebuttals, you know, there that goes. And, um, that is unique. I think that's just very, very unique to see that in the space. What's your view on moderation, both personally and professionally at Havoc? What's your view on, on how to be a moderate? Or is there a place for moderation? Or you know, what, what, how, do you, how do you split the baby on that? Where does, it, where does that leave you? So I think if most people are honest with themselves and each other, I think most people are moderates. I think, again, that we've allowed minorities on the extreme left and extreme right to hijack both sides of it. And have we talked before about the horseshoe theory of politics? Have you? Have we we have. Yeah. We, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, though. So, yeah, we can talk about it here. All right. Well, I know you know what it means. But this, so um, just a little bit of background on this. We, we go to Israel every year with this organization called PDLI, Peace and Dialogue Leadership Initiative. It's a partnership between Yale and West Point. Going on for 10 years, started by an undergrad, an undergrad friend of mine. I helped with the L part, the leadership part. So we were in Israel, third or fourth year in. And I remember thinking how the extremist Israeli settlers sound, look, and think a lot like the extremist Palestinians that we were talking to. And I, and I had this idle thought. I was like, wow, this guy, it, was, it popped in my head when we were talking to a settler about the the about the about their views on women, their views on who should own the land, what should happen to the people that oppose them, things like that. They're very similar to each other. And I found out later that there was a term for it, it's the horseshoe theory of politics. We think of politics on, as a straight line from left to right, but on the extremes, they bend in towards each other. And on the extremes of that horseshoe, the left and right are really closer to each other than they are to the middle. So in terms of moderation, I think most people in conditions of plenty and security find a way to get along with each other. They're not extremists. You see this all over the country. You see, you go, you go somewhere like I went to Atlanta a couple months back and um, I had to have some help from, from, from some folks down there to like get a car, get where I was going, things like that. And these are all from people that didn't look like me, but they treated me with respect and they helped me because they're good people. People are people wherever you go, no matter what their politics are, no matter what their race is and things like that. You and I have been all over the world. Generally speaking, people are people. There are some good people. There are all some bad people. But at the end of the day, most people just want to get along, get along with their lives, take care of their children, live in comfort. And I think those are all things we can get along with. 
So for me personally, of course I have a political point of view and, and you and our readers have just heard me espouse some of those, those things right now. But I believe that there's plenty of room in the middle for all of us if we just find a way to get along. And I think extremism, especially the single issue extremism, like, like you identified earlier, I think it's very bad for the country. And I think like you do, it kind of reflects uh, a level of ignorance and, and lack of intellect to be able to think through all these problems. My side's always right. There's never any issues with this. I, I fully recognize there are issues with the Republican Party, with conservatism that I have to reconcile in, in order to, to get through the day. But at the end of the day, I, I know I know which side I think will will do better for my country and for my family and for me. And that's the one that I'm going to support at the end of the day. But I think I could do that in a way that's inclusive of the, the brightest, the, the broadest swath of America. It's interesting. You know, while you're talking about the horseshoe theory, I can't remember if we talked about this, but, you know, just bullet point by bullet point on their political platforms, there's not a big difference between Trumpism and Bernie Sanders. It's both nationalistic, both based in identity, both based as groups, both based um, with a broad spectrum of centralized power. You know, um, it's interesting. And yet, and and it's funny because then you see there's actually been voters that are starting to migrate from one to the other as well. And sometimes the Democratic Party now is looking, going, hey, where were all of our working class voters? They're all going to Trump. It's because it's not necessarily that, um, the ideology changes because the personality changed. So it's funny how that horseshoe kind of develops. Um, I think what you're talking about is something near and dear to my heart, tolerance, right? You can't tolerate. There's no nobility in tolerating only things that you agree with. That's not tolerance. That's just living in an echo chamber. You can only tolerate things that you don't agree with. And that's what we don't have is people's inability to tolerate what they don't agree with and have a it seems to me to be a bastion of tolerance. Is that a fair assessment? I, I appreciate that. That's what we strive for. I hope we're doing that. I hope we're, we're, we, we aspire to that type of thing. I think it is. I think we, we've shut down several discussions on the page where it's lurched one way or the other, where people start attacking each other or attacking authors based on yeah. or, or some yes. other ridiculousness. Yeah. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, if we, if we, can create a space where we do have that moderation, we do have that tolerance. We can get, we can go farther, faster as a nation. But right now, as I, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, there's no power in that. There's no power in moderation. If you want to get elected, you're not going to be a moderate. Yeah. You got to be an extremist or no one will vote for you. If you, if you want to, if you want to, your article to go viral, you have to attack the other side viciously. No one's going to read an article about moderation. They want extremism. Yeah, that's that's where we are. As they want clickbait. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You're you're totally right. Um, we talked about Israel and Palestine. Let's stay in the Middle East for a second. Okay. Let's talk about Iman and his book, ah, The Resolute let's, Path. Always, let's, let's go. Let's, yeah. Let, let's let's go to let's go to Lebanon for a minute. Um. So, first off, how did that book come about? So Ayman Kafel, the, the author of The Resolute Path, which is what you're talking about right, right now, Chris, for, for our listeners out there. So Ayman read an article in the Havoc Journal, and much like you did, sent us an article, and Mike worked with him on it because I, I, I've had this conversation with Ayman all, a lot. In fact, I'm probably going to call him tomorrow because now we're talking about it. It's what a good dude, Ayman Kafel, uh, former, former uh, Army soldier, now turned cop in, in Massachusetts. 
So Ayman, uh, Ayman has always been a great storyteller. He's an amazing storyteller. You've, he's you've had a, a, and he's had a hell of a life, too. Absolutely. Like, they, they need to make a movie about this guy's yeah. life. They need yeah. to buy the rights for him and make a movie about it. Yeah. And and um, he's always been a good storyteller, but he wasn't always a great writer. He'll say this also. I'm not talking out of school. Mike Warnock worked with him, and now he's not only an amazing storyteller, he's an amazing writer. So the way that this book came about is Iman wrote, I, I think I think the only person with, with more articles on Havoc, uh, Havoc Journal than than him is me, and most of mine are written under pseudonym. So if you look, if you line up all of of the articles and the authors on Havoc, I think Iman is the number one name that pops mm-hmm. up. So he wrote all these articles, and he started talking to me about a book. So like, hey man, I'd like to write a book. I'm like you got a book. Let's just yeah. take all the articles from Havoc, put put some front matter and some back matter in there, and and put a cover on it. Call it done. So that's what we did. And his book's called The Resolute Path. It's the story of of him, his his lifetime. In Lebanon, in Africa, in Iraq, the man's been all over the world. Just a great dude, and we got his launch party coming up on Halloween up in up in the Massachusetts area. I'm looking forward to launching that soon too. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's 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 pitch this. So it's going to be a a Halloween party for the ages is how we're pitching it because it's going to be free. It's going to be free for people to come. They got RSVP. We can't say where it's going to be on the air you got to rsvp to find out where it's going to be but if you rsvp you will see a savage wonderground live immersive art event with featuring iman amy Sexhour, ben fortier uh 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 the writer of cross massachusetts nick Estathew, um dave camposano dex will be there we're gonna have visual art music poetry spoken word all that stuff and then after the show which is about an hour then there's the book launch, even though the book's already out, but it's still the book launch for Iman's The Resolute Path. It is going to be a badass, incredibly cool night in an amazing space that when you RSVP, we'll tell you all about. Um, obviously, this all just came together in the past week, but Charlie, you've seen pictures of the space yeah. without us giving away anything. Uh, bad question. How excited are you for this event? <laughs> That's a much better question. And you know that <laughs> even though I was an intelligence officer, I'm notoriously bad for keeping secrets, but I'm going to hold on to this one. So, yeah, so that space you got for us is amazing. Iman's going to love it. Uh, I think everyone who's going to come is going to love it. What a, what an amazing place to have the, the Savage Wonderground ex- experience. And I know the, the work that you and your team put in the Savage Wonderground. I know it's going to be a great event. I, I'm glad Dave is going to be there with 22 yeah. I haven't seen him in a while. I, I, him and Stacy and, and and his whole team. But I think he left out the most uh, most interesting person who's going to be there, and that's that's Chris Meyer. Uh, yeah, Chris Meyer will be task saturated, running around. He's going to be a boring <laughs> conversation that night. But it's definitely going to be a badass event. I'm so excited for it. Did I tell you what the concept is of what we're going to do for the Savage Wonderground show? No, no, how it's no, no, go? no. Okay, no. so so I'll I'll spoil it here for everybody. So. Nick F. Stathew, who writes Cross Massachusetts. Have you ever read any of that stuff, what Nick writes on Cross? So Nick writes a piece a day. And he goes to like, I forget what it is, the Library of Congress or something, but this big photo archive and pulls out photos and then writes backstories about them. And it's all horror stories. And he writes one every day. And they teeter on the brink of acceptability. They are violent, like jaw dropping like we can't we tried to run some of this stuff I, I wanted to run some of this stuff on our blog and i was like man that's gonna be a 
tough dose of coffee in the morning for people to wake up and go. And then the demon burst out of their ass or something. I'm like, oh my God, that's a lot. Holy shit. You know, it's just, he doesn't write that crassly, but it, it's, um, but it's definitely the kind of thing I was like, all right, we got to, I'm going to save him for, for when we really need horror. And he writes so much of it from kind of a late colonial period to 1930s ish time frame. That's kind of the broad 200 year period that he kind of writes a lot of his stories from. So it has this very classic Victorian element to it that, and so these, they're these crazy horror stories. So when we were building the show, I was like, okay, we'll bring him in, but we also have all these other incredible writers. And what we're going to do is basically when Nick, while Nick is the narrative backbone and is telling his horror stories, it's going to be interspersed with the po- with Amy's poetry, with Ben's poetry, uh, with Dave and Iman's pieces, uh, some of which are somewhat prosish, but most of which is poetry, and then Dex's live paintings that she's going to be doing. And it's all going to be interspersed together. So what the concept is, is that these horror stories are coming from real-world experiences of veterans. So they're not. it's not just gore porn. It's actually rooted in some fundamental disturbance in a veteran's life. So you're reading about Amy going through motherhood or, you know, it's tales of innocence, innocence, loss, unrequited love, or in Iman's case, like hard kinetic action, you know, the adrenaline rush of true violence and all that. And then there's these horror stories that kind of extrapolate off that and kind of show this crazy myth-making story that emerges out of this real experience. And uh, I think it's going to be a, just a very cool juxtaposition of real world gravitas with this whimsical, crazy, insane horror story and like perfect for the Halloween setting. Chris, that sounds amazing. Are you going to have like, like strobe lights and, and, and fog machines too? Cause I think I get totally freaked out. <laughs> if you had all that. <laughs> well, we're not, although this place does have a stage in it and we will use it, but we also want to use the rest of the spaces. So it's going to be immersive. We're going to go throughout the entire space using all the nooks and crannies that are there. But then what we're also going to do, I didn't tell you this, I don't think, we're going to have a dress code for it. So when you RSVP to come to the free event, open bar, by the way, with finger foods, Lilith's going to throw something at me for saying it. She's like, stop telling people about the open bar. I'm like, well, but it's, it's something for people to know. It's an open bar. It's, it's a free event with an open bar, dear Lord. But when you come, uh, you ha- males, men have to wear a jacket. Women have to wear the female equivalent of a jacket. Or you can wear a costume. So uh, there is a dress code for the event because there is a tone that we are trying to accomplish. And that goes for performers, too. So the performers will be there in tweed jackets with the leather you know patches over the elbows or they'll be dressed up like Catwoman. i don't know but either way you know it's going to be just uh, it's so what's going to be cool is just that kind of uh cirque to cirque to berserk kind of you know vibe of just craziness and the insane stories but couched in real world emotion and uh i think that just makes i, th- I think it's just a great example of veteran art delivered thematically in a way that only veterans could have told those stories in that manner. Chris, that, that sounds amazing. And, and the venue that you pick for that, I think it's uniquely well-suited for what you just described. I think that's going to be amazing. Well, it's one of those things that's always bothered me. Like, I think, I don't know if you've had the same experience, like after military service, after being in war zones, 
to like listen to like Rage Against the Machine or something. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. But I mean, hey, motherfucker, there were, there was wars going on for the past twenty years. If you're really all fired up, like, where where the fuck were you? You know, yep. there there were fights to be had. Um, and I think what's nice is for this is we're getting to have our cake and eat it too. We get to have crazy gore filled craziness happen, but also rooted in real world emotion with people who have earned their stripes where it's not just being said capriciously or because we had some dark fantasy, but because it was like, Oh, this actually comes from a real place and it's written with that. And I think that's a big differentiator of veteran art. So anyway, I'm thrilled that Iman's going to be there and his poetry, as you know, is devastating and a great, very articulate and moving, compelling description of kinetic action yeah and he's just a good dude I mean, everyone yeah. that you everyone that you named that i know is a good dude dave and dex i'm, I'm great i'm i'm thrilled she's gonna be doing some art out there that's gonna be amazing you're gonna be there i mean all kind of folks i i i, I highly encourage everyone watching the listening to the show right now just try to come to this event it's gonna be it's gonna be a banger it's gonna be amazing if you're in the boston area come on down it is kind of our new englandy show i guess because uh, Nick will be coming from New Hampshire and Ben will be coming from Rhode Island. But uh, anyway, yeah, should be very, very cool. And you get to meet Charlie Faint there in the flesh and blood. You can pitch him all your Havoc stories. Everybody that's there can come pitch him stories. Keep him hemmed up in a closet, just pitching one pitch after another after another. You'll be like Marlon Brando on his daughter's wedding day. Hey, I'll, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be at the bar. Come talk. Let's, let's do this. Um, I feel like we do. we have another piece of business, don't we, to talk about? I feel like while we while we talked up Wonderground, maybe that was it. I wanted to talk about Resolute Path. I wanted to make sure we give that a shout out. I might even have Iman back on just to talk about the book. He's been on this show twice because you can't cover everything in his life in one episode. But he, I, I might bring him back on just to talk about Resolute Path because we haven't talked about that yet. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was all the business we had to talk about. I can't remember. I was just like, I know I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk to Charlie about. Right now for you, for your fall, what is it you're looking forward to? What are the what what are the milestones that you set for yourself now in this new post military op tempo you've created? So I just got back from seeing my oldest daughter down in military school in Georgia. So that that's something that that I want to continue to do. Spend some more time with with my youngest daughter. She's got me lined up to take her to the Taylor Swift movie, not the concert, because I can't afford to take her to to the Eras tour. Yeah, um, but I can't afford to take her down the Palisades and watch the movie. Um, I want to I want to play more guitar, Chris. I, I've played guitar since college. I I've never gotten past six chords, um, so I, I want to get into that. I, I want to do. Is that Taylor rock- Swift influenced? Also, I I love Taylor Swift. I'm not. I think she's fucking she's fucking talented. I don't she, care what anybody says. She's fucking talented. Like <laughs> I listen to those, and I'm like, I've never been a 13 year old girl, but I feel like I just had a real window into that experience where I'm like, damn that. She really put words to that. That really makes sense. So I think I, I became a Taylor Swift fan when I watched her video back when videos were kind of a thing yeah. for hours, the, the for hours, which featured a guy coming back to National Airport from the 101st. I was like, I, I can relate to that. I, I see mm. you on that. The mm. the song that I'm on most recently is Willow, which I know is, a, is an older song of hers. But okay. it was on a CD that, that Shannon popped into the truck one day when I was taking her dance over in Cornwall. I'm like, this song is great. And yeah, so it's something I can do with my daughters. And as you know, my my wife and daughters are both, they're all extremely musically talented. Something we do as a family and taking her to, to a movie instead of a concert, is not going to break the bank. And then that's I, true. I, 
I want to write books. You know, I'm, I'm, I spend a lot of time helping vets get their books published through Second Mission. I, I've got a lot to say. I just need to find the time and the space to to do that. And I think now that I'm retired and now that, that things are, are are kind of stable financially and, mm-hmm. and everything for us, I think that uh, that's what I'm going to start looking forward to do. So I look forward to coming back on on uh, on the Savage Wonder podcast to talk about my book when, you know, inshallah, when, when that gets done. Well, you also reminded me of the other piece of business I did want to talk about. What's going on at Second Mission? Mm-hmm. What should everybody know about what's happening and what's the latest over there? So Second Mission Foundation, 51C3, dedicated to helping the, the members of the veteran community, which also very expensive, uh, expansive, tell their terrible stories and help start businesses. So we got a couple of different things going on. We provide micro grants to people with a strong business plan. We, we cut them a check and they, they run with it. We've done that for six or seven individuals, including Iman, interestingly. He's got a side business that, that he runs that we gave him a grant to help with. And what, what we spend a lot of time doing, Chris, is helping people write their books. So we've got three on the street right now. We, we've got Iman's. We've got another book called The Hill and another one called The Armor of God. So we've got three books on the street. We have two more that are, that are in public a process of being published right now. This takes this enormous undertaking to, to to publish a book, even if you're self-published, it's more or less what we do under our imprint. But it's worth it at the end to see a veteran's face when they, they hold their book in their hand and, and send it out there and, and being able to help the vets tell their stories that way. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So Second Mission is going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to partner with organizations we're like-minded in that. And, and we talked about several before the show that I'd like us to get more, more involved in. And then we're going to continue to find ways to help the veteran community. So second mission uh, takes up a lot of my time. I mentioned before that Mike Warnock, along with Kathy and Elisa and you, basically run Havoc right now, which, which frees me up to concentrate on second mission. So I'm going to help people publish more books. That's really what I want to do. Yeah, it's great if you if you can cut a check to someone and, and, and inject some cash into the business. But that enduring product, especially now when we're moving away from it. At West Point, I'm seeing more and more instructors without a combat patch, which to yeah. me would be unfathomable just a couple of yeah. years ago. We need vets to tell their stories, and it doesn't have to be stories about combat. One that I'm really excited about is, is the story of one of our authors, Mothers, who grew up in World War II, UK. It's her life story, mm. of surviving the Blitz and marrying, uh, growing up, marrying, marrying an American service member. I'm excited about that. We got another one coming out called Surviving Vietnam. It's probably going to be the next one published. That's the story of, of a vet who's who's now deceased, but he and his wife collaborated on this book, and we're going to help oh. tell the story. So I'm, that's what I'm excited about, Chris, is, is let's let's publish some books. If you think you got a good manuscript, talk to me. Look, look up Second Mission. Send it to us on HavocJournal.com. Let's talk. What's the criteria? What should people have in mind when they're submitting Second Mission? So it's got to be well-written. If you can't write, then, then we... I mean, Mike's a great editor and we, we hire professional editors to edit books, but it's got to be, it's got to be good. It's got to be tight. If you can't write, then, then figure it out and then come back to us. It's got to be military related. All the stories we publish are military related. It's got to be factual and you got to be willing to work with us because we don't, we're not a professional publishing house. We do a lot of different things. So it, it'll take at least six months from the time we sign the contract to you hold a draft copy in your hand. So I got to have a little patience. But even if we can't publish your book, we might be able to publish excerpts as a story. So you got nothing to lose. Hit us up, send it, send it our way. If we can't help you, we'll tell you. If we can, then we'll tell you that as well. You say it has to be factual. Would you handle fiction? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I should have specified that. I would love to get in fiction. 
that's love fiction. I was thinking when you're talking about you're talking about our, our friend who's going to be there um, at, at Savage Wonderground with the horror stories. I remember growing up reading reading H.P. Lovecraft stories, which sound sure. very much like it's very yes. much in the genre. Yeah, of, I, I think there's a huge market for that. I remember um, a couple of years ago, we I think Mike Mike and Elisa suggested like, hey, we should run these stories like these horror stories that veterans wrote, just like like short 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 pieces. Yeah, and I was like, okay, fine. They were huge, yeah. like the paranormal stories yeah. and things like that. I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that that vets were this interested in this type of thing. So yeah, I would absolutely run fiction. In fact, I'm trying to uh, encourage Mike to to wrap up his book, his Dungeons and Dragons based fantasy book that I can't wait to publish. That I think is going to be that's big. cool. That's very cool. Yeah, that will be interesting. Um, Charlie, uh, as always, I mean, you got eight million things going on, um, and I'm glad. You know, it's funny because I say that, yet we really don't talk about it enough, and we don't talk about all those different avenues that you have going on. And I think it's good that we took this episode. Um, for me to kind of be the corporate, the company man, and just kind of tee you up because I think it's important that people really get a better handle on what Havoc does, what it likes, what what the vibe is, second mission, and then certainly some of the exponents. You know what we're, what we're, what Iman's doing, what's going to happen at Wonderground, and all the rest of it. It's a lot of balls in the air, um, but you know you've made a huge uh, imprint in the veteran community through all this stuff, and I think it's important that we keep that going that people know what's going on there i think that's a huge value add that people just understand what resources are open and available to them um it's a blast man i mean as always i i mean we could sit and just bullshit for hours i feel like we should have had dinner or something while we were doing this um thanks for doing this oh before i let you go though tell everybody how they specifically how they need to hit you up or havoc or second mission where do they need to go yeah thanks chris so if you want to talk to Second Mission directly, it's HQ, Hotel Quebec, HQ at secondmissionfoundation.org. Uh, and if you want to, to email Mike or me, or if you want to get a hold of Chris for that matter, you can email uh, HavocJournal at HavocJournal.com. And you, you can email us, or you can go to the, the website, HavocJournal.com. There's links to our contact information there. And, you know, we'll get back to you when we can. We have a very small crew and a lot of people sit in us things. But if you're a veteran or veteran adjacent and you have a story that you think meets our criteria, let's talk. You got nothing to lose. You heard about how why didn't why didn't that we like to cast? We're here to help vets and their families, first responders, and anyone who's interested in those folks. Let, let's chat. So hey, Chris, thanks so much, brother. Looking forward to hanging out again soon. For damn sure. In Boston, if not before. <laughs> that was Charlie Faint's second. Profile on Havoc? Can't remember how many of these he's done. We did some back when it was Weekly Havoc, and we did you know, certainly he was a staple on our roundtable of guests. So I don't know. He's been on the show a whole bunch. But I think as far as a dedicated episode goes, this might be his second, third, maybe fourth. But it's always good to have Charlie on and update us on what's going on officially from the horse's mouth at Havoc and at Second Mission Foundation. Okay, as Charlie hinted at, uh, there's a lot going on with Veterans Repertory Theater or Vet Rep, uh, who is the sponsor, the other sponsor of this week's episode. So for everything you want to know about Vet Rep, go to vetrep.org, vetrep.org, vetrep.org. While you're there, scroll partway down the homepage. You'll see the option to subscribe for free to our literary blog, which will then 
mean that every single day you will receive a little snippet of veteran writing, usually poetry, fiction, or creative nonfiction, and then it will be followed by a bunch of shameless plugs that will be in your email inbox every single day. And, um, you know, we're pushing a thousand subscribers. We're very excited about that. The blog hasn't been around that long in the grand scheme of things. So we deeply appreciate how many of you are signing up for the blog and, um, and not just signing up, but you know, reading the emails every day. We see, we see the numbers, we see the metrics, and it's a really good click-through rate. So um, we're thrilled that you guys are getting it and um, not just physically receiving it, but actually getting it. So that's very exciting. And as Charlie and I talked about, on Halloween, on Tuesday, October 31st, in downtown Massachusetts, downtown Boston, there will be the next Savage Wonderground. The event is titled Ghost Story. It is, well, you heard everything about it in the episode. I guess I don't need to rehash all of it. But anyway, you get it. It's a Halloween party. It's a big, badass party. There'll be finger foods. There'll be an open bar. And it's free, but you do have to RSVP. That's why we're not telling you where the location is. You got to RSVP. We'll let you know where the location is. There is a dress code. Adhere to the dress code or you will be denied entry. So we're making a couple of stipulations because there is a tone for this. This is an immersive art experience. And then, of course, there's Iman's book launch the same night. So it's a Halloween party with two very cool uh, events happening. And you get it for free. I'm not going to lie to you. We are going to hit you up for donations when you're there because, you know, we'd like to cover costs. And we do like to pay our our veteran artists that are knocking themselves out. So uh, the donation hat will go around multiple times. um, And we deeply appreciate any and all donations and contributions because uh, it's not just covering costs, but it is actually um, paying all the performers that night. So very, very important. So please be generous. It's going to be a badass night though. Uh, And I can't wait for you all to be there. So to RSVP, um, you probably the best thing to do, because I don't know if we're going to get the link out in time for this episode. There may be check, (laughs) do yourself a favor, check, and see if there is a link in the show notes to go to the Google form that will allow you to submit an RSVP. But we have a Google Doc out there uh, for you to fill out uh, with all your pertinent information to get on the guest list for Savage Wonderground Boston. Um, if there's no link, email us at info at vetrep.org. That's I-N-F-O, info at vetrep.org. If you email us there, um, email us. Don't don't go. I want two tickets. Like actually, tell us who you are, name, number of guests, uh, email address. Uh, I can't remember what other information is on there. Phone number, I think. Can't remember. Anyway, we'll have a we'll we'll ask you a bunch of questions, but be comprehensive in it so we get so we know who who we're actually putting on the guest list, and then um, and then you'll be on. And we'll go back and forth and we'll let you know where it actually is. But I will tell you just for your planning purposes right now to gauge your interest. It is right in the heart of downtown Boston. It is dangerously close to the Boston Commons. And it is a badass, badass spot. This is not going to be a stadium event. It is going to be a very small, intimate event. So if you get an invite, if you get a RSVP, um, I'm telling you, we're cutting them off pretty quickly. So get back, get your RCP to us quick. 
because we're we do we don't have that many folks that we're going to try to uh, have at this event. We want it to be small, intimate, robust, but um, but intimate and and you know manageable because uh, it's going to make the night a whole lot cooler. Um, and yeah, show up in a jacket or costume, or if you're a woman, I don't know what the equivalent is for females. If a man's wearing a jacket, whatever the female equivalent of that is, that's the dress code for females. Or a costume. So you got that. Okay. I think that was inarticulate enough. So on that note, I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, as always, for putting this episode out. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Charlie Faint. And on behalf of everyone at Havoc, see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>